Um, so let me tell you what we're going to do. Today's Shabbat Batamas. And um, I, I have here a siddur which uh, translates the uh, the piyutim. It translates. Aaron Shaul Ben. He's named after his father. Yeah. Oh, ah, ah, very interesting. From which country? Um, so I, I have the siddur. What we're going to do is, what I was thinking to do was to read some of the slichas that we say on Shivas Abatamas and translate them and talk about them. Let me first preface and you know say basically what the score is and then we'll do a little reading as I'm sure you know we have four fasts that follow a sequence four sequential fasts in the course of the year those who are healthy fast six times we fast Yom Kippur which is a day at which is a biblical fast we also fast which ironically we did in somebody else's home. Um, I guess not ironic, it's for the same reason. Um, where we talked about the idea of Tynesestet. Tynesestet is an isolated fast. It's not connected to any of the other fasts. And to be sure, it's not even easy to figure out why we fast Tynesestet. What, what do we do wrong? What are we fasting? What are we doing chuba for? And we talked about it on Tynesestet. But besides for those two, the other four fasts are a hemshech, they're a continuum, they're a series. The first is Asar Betevis, which is called Tsaim Haravi, the fast of the tenth month, because on that date, Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bovel laid a siege to Jerusalem. He surrounded the city of Yerushalayim. This was, this was, you know, classical warfare tactics. You, you surround the city, you cut off their supplies, you kill their water, and then the people suffocate. People cannot survive. In modern times, they call it a blockade. It's the same principle. The word has changed, but the same principle. You don't let people in and out, and you, 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 you cause a society just to collapse under the weight of itself. And then two and a half years later, on Shiva Asabatamus, the walls of the city of Islam were breached, were, were broken through. But the Pasuk calls it Tsaim HaRavi, the fast of the fourth month. And it's significant that it's called the fast of the fourth month. It's not called the fast of the 17th of Tammuz. Because when the first place on Mikdash was destroyed, the fast was not Shiva Asabatamuz, it was Chi Betamuz. If you look in the Tanakh, the first place on Mikdash walls, the walls of Jerusalem, in the time of the first place of Mikdash, were breached. Tes Tammuz, the ninth of Tammuz, rather than the 17th of Tammuz. But since the Pasuk calls it the fast of the fourth month, it's linked to that month. The second base, Hamikdash walls were breached. The walls of Jerusalem were breached. Shiva also, but Tammuz on the 17th of Tammuz. So this becomes the day that we fast. But once upon a time, for the seven, 70 years, between the destruction of the first base, Hamikdash, and the reconstruction of the second base, Hamikdash, the fast actually took place. Not on the 17th of Tammuz, it took place on the 9th of Tammuz. 
The third fast is called Tzayim Hashvi, the fast of the seventh month, which goes, of course, on Tisha B'Yav. I'm sorry, Tzayim HaChamishi, pardon me. The fast of the fifth month, fifth month, which goes on Tisha B'Av, that the Gemara says, On this day, the first and second bath, the Mikdash were both destroyed. And the last is Tzayim Gedalia, which is called Tzayim Hashavi, the fast of the seventh month. This occurred after the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. We've talked about this many times, that so long as Jews lived in Eretz Yisrael, even after the first Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, there was a continuation. The death of Gedalia wasn't the murder of one man. It wasn't even the murder of one man who was a Navi. It was the death of the Jewish community in the Holy Land after the destruction of the first Beis HaMikdash. Jews continued living in Israel. Bavel had given Jewish people permission to establish a yeshuv, a community, and to live. And Gedali ben Achikim was their leader. And there was inner politics where a group of people wanted the Jewish people to run away to Egypt. And a whole scheme was put into effect. It's one of those stories where somebody actually came to Gedali and told him they're going to come and kill you. And he told them exactly whom. And Gedali said, I don't believe you. You know that that's the story. Look in the Tanakh. Guy, he doesn't believe that so-and-so would be capable of killing me. And he killed him. I mean, that's the story of Gedalia. And these, this ends the life of the Jewish people after the destruction of the first base on Mikdash. Completely. There was no more Jews in Israel. And then Jews came back, but it was different. And after the second base on Mikdash was destroyed, also, Jews lived on in Eretz Yisrael for another couple of hundred years. But eventually, the Yishuv was interrupted. And for many, many, many years... Jews didn't live in Israel at all. And when they came back, obviously things were different. And there were events which you can, I believe, link to these departures. The Jewish people leaving at Yisrael completely was spiritually a very not good thing because the holiness of the land affected the holiness of the people. When the people left and came back, they could not retrieve the old holiness that they had. But these four fasts follow a sequence. The first is when the city of Yerushalayim was laid under siege. The second when the walls were breached and they entered the holy city and they did all kinds of terrible things. Tishbev of the base of English was actually destroyed. And same Gedalia marks the fast linked to the end of the Yishev of Yidna and Yisrael and the murder of, 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 of a Navi, of Gedalia ben Achikon. The Gemara says about Shivas of Tammuz, the 17th day of Tammuz, which is today, the Gemara says that there are five events that uh, explained the fast. The first is the uh, breaking of the luchas. We were sitting last night at a shir, and someone said, tomorrow the Yidin made the eagle. I said, I'm sorry, today Yidin made the eagle. <laughs> the 16th of Tammuz, the eagle was created. And Aaron HaKoyin postponed the worship. Aaron HaKoyin said, let's wait till tomorrow, we'll start in the morning, we'll have a whole day to celebrate. He was hoping Moshe Rabbeinu would make an appearance. But Moshe Rabbeinu came at midday, 12 o'clock. And by this point, by Yakum al-Tzachik, they'd gotten up to do all their evil acts. Rashi says in Chumash, anytime it says the word L'Tzachik, which means to laugh, it denotes three things. It means Avedezara, Gilearoyes, and Shvich Hasdamim. It means idol worship, adultery, and murder. And Rashi says that all of these things occurred when, 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 when Goyesh Kain celebrates, you have tzchayk, you have laughter, which is of a desire, gilaroy, and shvigazdam. In any case, <laughs> in any case, in any case, so the first event linked to Tzayim Gedalia 
I'm sorry, Teshiva Asa Batamas is the, the, the uh, breaking of the Luchas. Meshav Benu got the Tater from the Eivishter, and he broke the Luchas. Um. <laughs> you got to get one that laughs. That's what we got to get. <laughs> huh? We'll do the laugh. We'll do the laugh. Um, then another event that happened was that Butla Hatamid. The Jewish people used to bring an offering every single day in the Beis Hamikdash, and that the Gemara says that when the Romans laid siege to Yerushalayim, you couldn't get in and out. And uh, every day, the Jewish people would lower a basket of gold to the other side of the uh, mountain. And the Romans would put back a sheep, a shepseleh. That's what the Gemara says. Every day the Jewish people would lower a, a, ba- a bucket full, a bowl full of gold, and the Romans would put in a shepseleh, the Eden would be mark of the cover. This went on for a very, very long time. Until finally, one day, the Jewish people put a bucket of gold, and the Romans put a pig, a swine, into the other side of the Mishko. And the Gemara says, it's a strange lushen, and it deserves analysis, not Siparnav Bekeisel, this Chazer poked its paws into the walls of the city and he breached them, he made a crack. This is what the Gemara says. You have to understand the symbolism. The symbolism. I mean, there were the Romans, Romans were the Chenishraim Gemara, they were evil people. But in, it says in Medrash Chazal, and it's mentioned, I think, in the Psukim in Tanakh, in, in Daniel, there are four animals. And the four animals represent uh, the four evil nations. The animals that have one kosher uh, min, a rabbit, and a hyrax, and a camel, and a chazir, a pig. And um, in the beginning of Pasha's Vayetze, you look in the Rishonim, you look at the Rosh Chazal, where it talks about Yankov in his dream with the ladder going up and going down. So it, it's explained by some of Fashim, which are presenting the four Goliaths. And the four Goliaths carry the names of the four animals. Rome is chazer. The Rome is the swine. The Rome is the pig. Whose feet are kosher. He says, look, look, I have kosher feet. That's what the... Rashi says in the Chumash also. He sits in mud. He sits in a wallow. He sits in filth. The Gemara says, the is, Pia chazer ke pia tabas. The mouth of a pig is like the mouth of a... It's almost like a toilet bowl. Mitzat halochas of saying Yedavah Next to a pig can be freshly washed. You're not allowed to say Yedavah His mouth is considered like a, like a toilet. Because his whole life is eating refuse, junk. But he sits in the filth and he extends. He says, look, I have split hooves. And there's many discussions in Hasidus about the link between Achazer and Rome and, and the fact that their exile has lasted so long and so forth and so on. But the bottom line, this is a story that they, they, they put in this, this uh, pig and he not it's a part of a queso. And this was the end of Butla Hatama. There was no longer any carbonus. When you read the Siddur, which I'm going to read with you momentarily, he indicates that not only was there an end to the particular carbon, the, the morning and evening offerings, but it was an end to all carbonus. So of course the Jews didn't send any more gold, the pigs they didn't need. There were plenty of pigs on the other side of the wall. Another event, of course, is that Hemit Selem Behechol, a statue of some sort, was placed in the base of Mikdash. And if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's, you know, one of the issues is it's hard to figure out which came first and which came second. In other words, the chronological order, but it says it's, that this was done by Menashe. In time of the first base, Hamikdash. Menashe Melech Yisrael, who was the son of the great king Chizkiyahu Hamelech, 
but he was a very big Russia. He put a statue, some kind of a Vigazare, in the base of Mikdash. The fourth event is Saraf Tunusrupus is a a man named Tunusrupus burnt the Sefer Tera, and evidently this was a, an event which wasn't local. I mean, the Tera's had been burnt multiple times. But this particular event was of great significance. And finally, Hufka Ahaid, the walls of the city of Yerushalayim were breached, were penetrated and shattered, and the Romans came in, and the Babylonians came in, and they, they wreaked havoc. So we fast, we fast, and Shiva Asabatama because of these five events, because of these five occurrences. So first of all, the mandatory Rambam. You have to say this Rambam on every fast, otherwise it's not a fast. The Rambam writes, Rambam writes the beginning of the laws of fast, the beginning of Hilchas Tainis. It's a very important Rambam. He writes that, that, if a, first of all, if a person says, when something negative occurs, that mikro nikris, it was happenstance, it was, it was an, what's the word in English? A coincidental event, it just happened. Mikra nikris, it's a symbol, a sign of cruelty. In the Lashon Harav, the Rebbe has taught us, the living have to take the heart. When you encounter, when you witness, when you're connected directly or indirectly to a tragedy, you have to be, have to be moved by it, notwithstanding that uh, there may be some kind of other explanation or may not have a direct relationship with you and so forth. And the Rambam explains that we find in the Torah the word mikre and the word keri. And I believe we had it recently in, Chumash, in last week's parsha, Bilam. So the pastor continuously uses the word vayikor elikimel bilam, vayikor. And he happened, he chanced upon Bilam. The root of this word, mikre keri, is keri. Keri means an accidental meaning. Uh, when one person meets another person, coincidentally the Hebrew word is mikre. It just happened, a chance meeting, a mistaken meeting. The Rebbe Rashab, the Friedrich Rebbe's father and principal, never used the word mikre. He never used the word mikre, which denotes accident. He always used the word hisdamnus. Hisdamnus, like zimen. Hisdamnus means an event which even though you may not know why, it, there's, a, his, there's a certain preordination about it. There's a certain focus and master plan that's involved in his damas. But the word mikre and keri denotes an accident, <coughs> or, or a random event. Something that happened and no one has an explanation for it. So the Torah says that, first of all, using Bilam as a model, Hashem didn't like Bilam. Bilam was a Russia, a very big Russia. His possibility was very great. The koiches, the Ebrish, gave him were enormous. And instead of using them in a favorable way to create amongst the Jewish nation more, more modesty, more unity, more God, he used it, he exploited his position for all kinds of destructive and very self-serving uh, purposes. He, he, he didn't serve the people whom God had given him to at all. He served only himself. And when he is prophesizing in what would turn out to be the great bracha that he gave, Klal Yisrael, it says in the Pesach, Vayakar, Hashem happened upon him, chanced upon him. Indicated that Hashem really did not want to give Nevoah to Bilam. He gave him Nevoah. But Baderach Mikri, in a way that appears to be an accident and a random, arbitrary event without any focus. So, getting back to our point, Rambam writes that the Tanakh, the Chumash, when it talks about Yiddish Tzaris, it talks about the Tzaris Yidnev had historically, 
including in the, the Teichacha, in the Chumash itself, you have the Lashem Kedi. <coughs> indicate that what does it mean Hashem ju- ju- judges? Hashem treats critically Klal Yisrael. What does it mean Hashem gives Yidna a, a, a difficult judgment? It doesn't mean He punishes them. He turns His back. He acts like as if he's not paying attention. That's what the word mikra indicates. Now by the Amish, there's no such thing as turning his back. Everything is bashgach apratis. But the appearance, the panim, the way it looks, the way it seems, it seems like Hashem is ignoring us, and therefore all kinds of stuff can happen by the, you know, by the vacuum that's created from the Amish's focus. It's called mikra. If you came to the class on Sunday night, the Pasha class, which I'd like to advertise. <coughs> but in any case, so we discussed... Amongst other things, in Sunday night's class, a very interesting concept that Moshe Rabbeinu was talking to Hashem about how Hashem should select a new leader, and he says, that Hashem is the God of all the spirit, all the life of physical people." So one of the Mefarshim says, I forgot which one, that Davke when a neshama goes into a goof, Hashem becomes alekei haruches lechol basa. The neshama is in Ganeidin; it's in Ganeidin. When the neshama comes into the oh the medish says it, the says it. When, the, when the neshama comes into the guf it has a stronger connection to Hashem as it comes into this world as it was Lamaila, the Abish takes the neshama by the hand or to use a Tanya illusion vayipach he blows the, the neshama into the person there's a, there's a very special connection between the yid and the Abish. this is a very very strong um, hashgacha and when the Abish acts as though He's turned his back. This is called Mikra. This is called Keri. This is the source of Tzadis and so forth and so on. Now. Now. The Rambam says something else also, which is very critically important. And that is, the Rambam says that that a fast day is the day of Tshuva. It's a very important, famous Rambam. We don't fast to commemorate tragedy. Jews are not into tragedy particularly, and we're really not into history so much. Jewish people are not into events that have happened. Historical events are separated, celebrated for a time. In other words, for a period where the event is alive, like you have in Teireh. Hashem did a miracle for me. Hashem did a miracle for my parents. But when it becomes historic, in other words, when you personally don't feel the impact of a miracle, you cease to celebrate. It's over. It's history. The times, the dates, the events that Jewish people continue to commemorate and honor and celebrate and focus on, we continue to focus on those events not because of their historical value, but because of their currency, because of their relevance now. We fast we celebrate Hanukkah, we celebrate Purim, we celebrate Pesach. Not because once upon a time something happened, but because right now something is occurring. That's how Yiddishkeit is modeled, Yiddishkeit is designed. If we fast at Shiva Asabatamas, because 2,000 years ago there were Yiddish Tzadis, that's living in the past. That's not how Yiddishkeit operates. Instead, we say that Shiva Asabatamas is the day of Tshuva. Something negative occurred. That negative thing has an energy. The energy of that negativity is connected to this time. As we've learned over the years so many times, Hasidus prioritization, Hasidus focusing on the concept of time itself. Events are connected inexorably to the time in which they occur. Or the time 
of year affects the events that are going to happen. Just like there's something called a good mazel and a bad mazel, a good land and a bad land, there's a good time and a better time. The Abish to create energies connected to times. And Pesach is connected to redemption in essence. Shabbos is connected to rest and transcendence in essence. And Shiva also betamas is connected to a certain energy. That at this juncture, at this point, this energy manifests in a very, very negative way. And every year that energy recurs, that's why we fast. Why? To do tshuva. What is the connection between fast and tshuva? I mean, if you've studied the Gersa tshuva, the chitas of these days and weeks, the whole point that Alter Rebbe is trying to make is that there's very little connection between fasting and tshuva. Tshuva is one thing, and fasting is something entirely different. So that Ammam explains, as you're right, fasting is not tshuva. But when a person fasts, he's nichnalavavi. His heart is softened. He's subdued. He's weaker. Right? We are extremely vulnerable creations. We miss a meal, we're in a bad mood. We don't eat for half a day, we have no patience for anybody. We're extremely, extremely vulnerable. The animals can go for days without eating and survive. I mean, they have to eat eventually, but they're much more, uh, what's the word? They have much more perseverance. People are extremely, sorry? Resilient, stamina. They, 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 that's how the Ibishta made them. That's how life has made them. We miss a meal. When a person fasts, the nature of a fast, when a person fasts, his heart is subdued, his heart is weakened, his heart is softened, his heart is, is open. So the fast is setting the stage for tshuva because the Abishta gave us fasts, uh, because we fast on these negative days, or these days which are at the moment in the appearance negative, it softens our hearts and it's an opportunity for us to connect to Hashem. But the ikir of a fast day is to do tshuva. And tshuva means to repair the wrongs that we did. Not just to say I'm sorry and to feel bad, but to fix the mistakes that we made. And of course it goes without saying we know exactly what the score is. But each one of us is very, very determined that, that she, she should do tshuva. I'm determined that you should do tshuva. You're determined that I should do tshuva. And collectively everybody is determined that somebody else should do something. That, but of course it doesn't mean me. Um, and if we, the, the Yabba says in a thousand sikhs, the Beis Mikdash was destroyed because of sins. And what sin specifically, especially the second Beis Mikdash, the sin of sinas chinam, want and hate. Hatred that has no justice, no, no basis, just stamaze jealousy. And therefore, the Rebbe says, the tshuva that we do brings the Beis Mikdash. The tshuva connected to the fast. The fast softens our hearts and it motivates us to do tshuva. And the effect of the tshuva is that we should. Um, we should have Abbas Yisrael, and the Rebbe says clearly, Mashiach has to come because the cause of the Golos is removed. This is the idea of, uh, of fast. This is the Rambam's model of fast. This is the, specifically the fast of the Shiva I just want to mention, before we go on, that the Rebbe, of course, the Rebbe is positive obsessed. The Rebbe only looks things in a positive light. And he teaches us always a positive model. So, like the Rebbe spoke once, Asara B'Tevis, Samach Melech Bavalad Yerushalayim, which literally means he laid a siege to Jerusalem. I should say, it, figuratively it means. But literally it says, he supported the city, he supported the walls, he held up the walls, he stood around the walls. It says, Rebbe, this means that the king of Bavel also was supporting Yerushalayim. And the same is true, the breaching of the walls of Yerushalayim, which was such a tragedy, 
is the beginning of Prazes Teshev Yerushalayim. When Mashiach comes, Yerushalayim is not going to have walls. It's going to be an overflowing city. It's going to expand. It's going to encompass the whole land. Yisrael, whatever the particulars are, the halacha stuff and Lenin, the Pneumius is that the walls fortify and strengthen a city. But they also put perimeters. They put edges. And this is, this is the end of the wall. When Mashiach comes, we're not going to have any fear. We're going to live in these huge, what's the word? Uh, overflowing, expansive uh, areas where there are no walls to limit the borders of a place. To so the country, it's going to be overflowing and spreading out and so forth and so on. This is a, a pneumious dicker look. They, they, they break the walls of Yerushalayim and begin the process of expanding Yerushalayim to encompass the whole world. This is Vimezot, an introduction. What I want to do now is if somebody wants to get a siddur, <coughs> you're welcome to. Because I push, I want to read Ashtikele from the Slichas of Shiva Sabatamas. The Slichas of Shiva Sabatamas has three piyutim that are unique to Shiva Sabatamas. In other words, there, there, there's a lot, if you've ever read Slichas, there's a lot of repetition. You, first of all, you read the same paragraph multiple times. Second of all, um, the basic passages are the same for every fast. For, for even Yom Kippur, we say them. All the fasts have mostly 80% of the slichas is the same stuff. In the middle, you have a few katoim, a few shtikalach, a few paragraphs that are unique to each fast. And I'm not reading it because I think necessarily there's a chiddush here. I just think we should do something a little bit different because unfortunately we've had many shivas of Batamas we sit and learn. So I figured this would be a good thing to do if somebody wants to get a siddur. I understand that the Rebbe wants to get to do him. I want to read with you one paragraph from, uh, from the Slich of Hizasa Batamas. It's kind of bitter, but it has a very good end, which is why it's worthwhile reading. Who has a siddur oh, already? If you, if you give it to me, I'll, I'll, I'll find it for you. This is standard pages. It's page 320 in the Siddur. If you want to follow along. Let's read it. And again, I, I don't want to... I mean, it's, it's a long piyut. We'll start wherever. But let's, let's, let's learn it. Okay? Asanu lecha. We come to you. Yaitzeruches. The one who has formed the spirits of people. 320 sound right? Does 320 work? Huh? I, I can lend you my glasses. You can, nobody can see, huh? I feel young. Good, good. That's why I teach. <laughs> I'm sorry? So give it to me. Give it to me. I'll find it for you. No, it's not 320. It's, it cannot be 320. I'll, I'll tell you in a moment. Here we are. Page 362. 362. 362. We come to you, the one who has created all spirits. Because of our many, many sins, our sighs have become heavy. 
Gzeireis Otsmu, the decrees have become very intense. Verabut Zvichis, and there have been many shouts. The first thing that occurred in Shiva Asabatamos is that the Luchas were broken. And I'm sure you know, we've talked about this many times. First of all, when Moshe Rabbeinu broke the Luchas, he had no idea there was going to be a second set. Hashem didn't give him a contingency. The Rebbe said once in the Fabrengen that Moshe Rabbeinu broke the Torah. Those were his words. He said it very emotionally. And he did not know that there was going to be a second Torah. But he said, Jewish people's lives are in danger. First you save Jewish lives, then you worry about Tehidah. So the Rebbe said. Um, but Hasidus also says that when the second Luchas were created, they were not as great as the first Luchas. It says in the Pikyavis, it says in the Psukim, that the first Luchas were Maisiel came Hema, the Eivish made a Luchas himself. The second Luchas, they were Maisiel Dei Moshe. Moshe excavated the Luchas out of the ground. But the ksav and the michtav, the, the, the words and the, the oisias were the abishtas. But the stones were on a lower level. And there's many nafkaminas. The second luchas basically were not as great as the first luchas. But what they lacked in holiness that's overt, they provided possibility for tshuva. The second luchas have the strength of tshuva. We were exiled from the Beis HaMikdash. Dineinu nechtam, our judgment was sealed. V'nigzah a decree was decreed, and I'm sure you know that the word Gezeira means to cut. A division was cut. A, a, a chasm was formed. It became dark to us. In the 17th of Tammuz, one of the other events that occurred was Nisrefa Teda. Teda was burnt by Apostumus Arasha. This was a very significant event. I mean, it happened many times, but this specific event was very significant. Harsu oiveinu hahechal. Our enemies destroyed the house of God. And the Shechina had to escape from the edges, from the corners of the hechal. Now, let me give you uh, just something to chew on and take with you, okay? The Rebbe has a beautiful thought. It's in the Sikh of Shaiftim, Tashin about the Beis Hamikdash. He says the Beis HaMikdash can be categorized in three levels. This is, of course, my own words. The first level is the Beis HaMikdash itself. The Beis HaMikdash itself could be destroyed. It could be burnt down. Even though it's the house of God and it's built with many miracles and so on. When the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, when the house goes away, when the candle is used up, the fuel no longer exists, the fire departs, the Shekhinah leaves. So when the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the Abishta left. The second dimension, says the Rebbe, is the Holy Ark, the Arna Kodesh. The Arna Kodesh was never destroyed, never exiled. But it can be hidden, it can be concealed. And the highest level, the Rebbe says, is the Evesh the stone, which is the, you says, which is the foundation, the beginning of the whole creation. This stone on which the Arna Kodesh whatever, sat next to, this stone is not only in the Makam Amikdash, the place of the Beis Amikdash, but it's not covered, it's overt which represents an even higher level of holiness. So the Rebbe says, the fact that the Beis HaMikdash is destroyable proves that the holiness of the Beis HaMikdash can be changed. The fact that the Adna Kedish can only be hidden proves that you cannot change the godliness of the Holy Ark, but you can hide it. The Evan and not only you cannot destroy it, you can't even hide it. The godliness of Evan is the highest level, it's always overt. So that's what he says, the Barcha Shechina, the Shechina escaped from the corner of the Beis HaMikdash. We were given over to the hands of Wicked people, sinners, 
this akal to be consumed. Another event that occurred on the 17th of Tammuz was a statue, a likeness of Avedizara was placed in in the base of Mikdash. And again, I, I saw one of the Mephashim, this goes on Menashe, the first base of Mikdash. I want you to, just to indicate to you a Maimah Chazal, a Piskam, which is mentioned, it's, it's very famous. And that is that Moshe Rabbeinu, that the Eibishter, I'm sorry, complained. The complaint that the Eibishter had was, bringing into the base Hamikdash. And Avayda Zara wasn't only sinning, it was bringing into the Eibishter's house his competition, right? A man is married to a woman, that's it. There's only one connection between a man and one woman, that's it. The Yidden brought into the base Hamikdash. Another husband, they brought into Atzelem, which was a, obviously it was a tremendous disrespect to the Eibishter. It's one thing to worship idols, it's a second to bring the idol into the Beis HaMikdash. Zeirunum Eidol, it was thrown around from city to city. Vinilkat Menu, and from us was captured the Rav, the greatest, Vitzoyed, and the smallest. Charva Misaseinu, the building that gave us all of our joy was destroyed. The Eishpahivir fire was lighted in the Beis HaMikdash, although the fire of the Beis HaMikdash did not burn until... The fire in the Beis HaMikdash did not burn until Tisha B'Av. Nevertheless, Ki B'Shiva Asa B'Tamuz Hafka Oha'ir. On the 17th of Samas, the, the walls of the sea were breached and penetrated, which led directly to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And again, I mentioned to you that this is the second Beis HaMikdash. The first Beis HaMikdash, B'Tisha B'Tamuz, the 9th of Tamas, the walls were breached. Tafash Migdashenu Tzor Hamashmid. The enemy that destroyed the Beis HaMikdash became very foolish in his relationship with the Beis HaMikdash because as the Gemara says, when the Beis HaMikdash stood, it protected not only Jewish people, it protected the whole world. As you know, on Sukkot, they brought 70 carbonas to correspond to the seven nations of the world. That's why in Sukkot we focus on the Pesach until in Psalm 117. All the nations of the world thank Hashem because the Beis HaMikdash protected everybody. And it says in Svarim that if Goyim knew how wonderful the Beis HaMikdash is for them, not just as a house that if they choose who they can come and pray, but a place from which the Shekhinah gives blessing to the whole world, they would surround the Beis HaMikdash with legions and protect it, not let anybody destroy it. So it was a foolishness on their part to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. Venutan mechosan vekala. It's other v'tzamid, and it was taken away from a chasan, a kala, a bride, and a, gro- a groom and a bride. It's other v'tzamid, which are different types of uh, of, of adornments, of ornaments, of jewelry. Tzamid means a, a bracelet. The I think means a necklace. Yan ki asnucha nitano lahashbe, because we angered you, it led to our destruction. Ki b'shiva asabatamos. Another thing that occurred on shiva asabatamos was. Butal Hatamid, the offering that was brought in the Beis Hamikdash, was interrupted. And the Mepharshim explained what this means. When the Yidin had the Beis Hamikdash, they had a lot of beautiful traditions, very meaningful, beautiful traditions. The Gemara talks about this in Mesech the Shabbos, like I'll be carrying. One of the traditions that Claudia Yisrael had was that Chasanim and Kalas, on the days of their weddings, would have very, very elaborate uh, decorations. Some of them would wear crowns. They would make for them these beautiful, beautiful chuppas 
from Vedit, from Hadassim and things like this, the Gemara says a very fascinating thing. That when a boy was born, born, they planted a certain tree. When a girl was born, they would plant a certain other type of tree. I, I figured they didn't plant only one, they planted various. When that boy got married, they would cut down these trees and make from it the wagon for his chuppah. Can you imagine planning a wedding so many years in advance? There were all of these things that were done. You know, one of the famous allusions uh, is Yerushalayim Shal Zohar. A person who could afford it would make for his kala a crown that had the, uh, the what is the word I'm looking for? The skyline of Yerushalayim. And Rabbi Akiva made for his Rebetzin, for Rachel, such a crown. And the Chazal said, upon him, it was right after the Chorbim, evidently, right after the Chorbim, based on Mikdash, and you're making for your wife, Yishlaim, Tazav, Yidna, suffering so much, because the Gemara says that they, they stopped it, they're not allowed to do it anymore. It's also, we don't do such elaborate custom uh, kal decoration like they did. If you look at the Taimene, the Yemenites apparently still have such customs, but the, we don't do it. We, we, we play down our wedding. They're pretty hard to believe if you live in America, but evidently we're playing down our weddings. And Abba said, no, no, she deserves it. <laughs> this is a, you know, Kiva brought his wife, Rachel, Yerushalayim Shalzah, that was a different situation. But we, we, we've cut down, that's what he says over here, that Nuta Mechosa Mechalat, this, 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 this beauty, Moshe Begashmet that the Jewish people had is forfeited because we lost the Karbanas. All beauty and praise has been lost. The, the enemy uh, pulled his sword out to do all kinds of bad things. Even little children. On the 17th of Thomas, all carbonists were interrupted. This is an interesting thing, and I didn't look sufficiently, but for the little bit that I looked, the, it's not only the carbon tumid which stopped, the whole content of carbonists was interrupted on Shiva Sabatamas. Maradnu, we rebelled. The one who lives in the heavens. We did for scattered to all corners. Our mechoyel. What does mechoyel mean? Our dancing. But Mechoyel means specifically dancing in a circle became lamentations. Kivashiva also with Thomas Butler Kabanas in the 70s of Thomas, all Kabanas were interrupted. Sarana Lefadecha, we have uh, rebelled against you, turned away from you. Miriv, from the competition, from the descent, from the politics. Lashaynes. You know what Lashaynes means? Of using our tongues. Lachain Lamda Lashadin Lamakinis. So our tongue has gotten used to saying lamentations. Uzavnu himanis. We've been abandoned by the Abishta without being counted. Many sins resulted in all kinds of tragedy. He writes, the commentator here writes that the Jewish people's distinction is that they're always counted. And there's many sikhs and ideas found in Teira and Shalah, the significance of Jewish people being counted that every Jew is Khosh, And he indicates this uniqueness was lost with the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. Puzarnu believe it's a Ravacha. We were scattered without to find any place where we could be comfortable. Lachem Rafsa Banu Anacha. We therefore sigh repeatedly. Tzur, our rack. Re'einaf Sheinu Kishacha. Now here gets the positive part, so let's slow down. Okay, this is the Chafat Labavachach Sidim. And the Rebbe, in all of his Sikhs, the Rebbe fasts on Shivasa Vatamas. It goes without saying. And the Rebbe. Cries for the destruction of the base of Mikdash more than anybody else. Reuven Dunin was a yid 
He passed away, for, uh, I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago maybe. Reuben Dunne came to the Rebbe uh, in the 50s. And I've told you about him many times because he himself recorded his own uh, biography of his relationship with the Rebbe. I've told this to you, he felt that because of the connection that the Rebbe had with him, he should share it with everybody. He came to 770, I think it's 57 or 58. He spent only a few months here. And when you, you hear the legend of Reuven Dunen, you could think he hung around 770 for 10 years. When he was here, Sachakal, six months, went back to Israel and got married. And then he was busy. He was a shliach in Haifa. From time to time he would come, and the Rebbe would always tell him that you're not allowed to neglect your wife. And uh, one particular occasion, um, he, he was by the Rebbe, and uh, he was talking to the Rebbe. I forgot the details, but the point was, the Rebbe asked him, how's his wife doing, and how is she managing with the kids? And, you know, does she have a newborn? Or is she pregnant? He says, no, she's managing just fine. So the Rebbe smiles and says, okay, next time... <laughs> She will come and you'll stay home and watch the kids. Next time she will come and you'll stay and watch the kids. But he said that during this period that he was in 770, I mean, Bachem who were there, remember, the Rebbe treated him like a ben yochet. The Rebbe singled him out. But the Rebbe used to signal to him with his eyes. And the signal meant, come on in. So the Rebbe would leave his door open. This is, you're talking 50 years ago. 770 was never locked. For those of us who are young, all the doors are locked. There was no such thing as a locked door in 770. We used to play in the hallway in front of the Rebbe's room constantly. We used to walk in and Dr. Zelikson and Gestand and Gedavn. Dr. Zelikson was not my doctor. I thought he was just the local tzaddik. You know, the Islam sent the representative. The whole day he stood in the Rebbe. We used to make noise. They locked up 770 only in the 80s because of nonsense. But the 770 was not locked. Not paranoid. The doors were always open. There was a back staircase, which the Rebbe himself used later. And he would go upstairs, the Rebbe left his door, and he'd go into the Rebbe, and the Rebbe would talk to him. Sometimes on a nightly basis, Pashat, after Maidav. Jesus, and the Rebbe would talk to him about a lot of things that was makarivim, gvaldik. But, and the Rebbe always talked to him about Simchesis, but he walked into the Rebbe Friday night, Tishabov. And the Rebbe Pashat Shabbos, which was interesting because the, later on the Rebbe objected to people crying Shabbos. And the Rebbe Pasha was crying for Churban Bez Amikdash. And the Rebbe took it seriously. But at the same time, the Rebbe's inspiration, the Rebbe's teaching, the Rebbe's sense of what a fast day is, it's a day which will be imminently be made into a Yom Tif. He looks at the fast days from the outset that eventually, or imminently, immediately it can be made into a Yom Tif. And I want, to, I want to bring out a point, which I started in the beginning, I want to finish it now. And that is that you know, let's read it first and then I'll tell you, okay? He says, Tzur, our rock, see how our souls have been bent, have been bowed. And this 17th day of Thomas transformed for us to a day of gladness and joy. We've had a hard neck and many tragedies have befallen us. I'm just standing in Shul today. We really need to tell you that. Forgive them because they're hard necked. Here it says, We're hard necked, so we had all kinds of tragedy. Forgive them because they're hard necked. So it's brought down in Svarim, I think they say it in the name of the Maral, that the hard neckedness of Cloud Yisrael is two sided. This stubbornness, on the one hand, can be very troublesome, can be very uh, agitating, very rebellious, very, let's try something different. 
On the other hand, the stubbornness, the hard-neckedness of the Jews is the reason Jewish people survived. We are who we are because we're not easily persuaded. We don't just follow like lemmings. So the hard-necked characteristic of Yidin, which is here indicated as being a negative trait, also has a very, very positive side. We've brought upon ourselves many tragedies. We were given to being crushed, trampled, and Rifshe means filth, like Refish. And spare us from these tragedies. Transform Shivas of Thomas to their gladness and joy. She'enu, turn to us. The one who rests in an exalted place. The Kapitz Nevutasenim, Kapitz gathered our dispersed from the corners of the earth. Teiman letziyen kuma, say to Zion, rise. Veshiva Asabat, which goes on Yerushalayim, by the way. Veshiva Asabatamos, the 17th of Thomas, Afachlana, transformed for us, Layem Yeshua, Venachom, to a day of salvation and consolation. And this is really based on a Pasuk and a Rambam, which is brought, of course, it's, it's a Gemara, it's a Rambam, it's a Chrenim. And that is. That when Mashiach comes, the fast days become Yamim Tev. The Gemara says, the Pasuk says that Yehavchu Yamim Elu L'sasnu L'simcha Olamaya Yamim Tevim V'ha'emez V'ha'shalom Ha'ebo Mashiach comes, the fast days are transformed into days of gladness and joys and to Yamtiv. And we should, you know, the, 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 truth and peace should be come beloved. And the question of course becomes, tragedy occurs on a day. So you have to fast. Mashiach comes and the tragedies are lifted. So you stop fasting. But how does it become a holiday? How does a negative day suddenly become a Mashiach comes. Tishbov was a time in the second base of Mikdash. Tishbov, they made the, a celebration. What, what's there to celebrate? At the base of Mikdash, it's no longer destroyed. So, of course, the answer of Pichasidas is because we talked earlier about the notion of time. And every point in time, every day, every moment has a different energy. And the energies of the days create the events, rather than the events creating the energies of the days. Like, for example, Pesach is a day whose energy is a day of redemption. Which is why Avram Avinu redeems light 400 years before Yetzirah Mitzrayim on that day. You understand? And so forth. Well, light was redeemed earlier, whatever it is, more than 400 years. And the same is true. The day has a certain koyach. And this koyach manifests at different occasions and different circumstances in a variety of different expressions. But certain days have certain energy. Like I always give you the example from Hanukkah. There are a thousand years before Hanukkah, Hanukkah was already Hanukkah. When the Jews lived in the desert, they completed to build the Mishkan, the mobile temple, the house of God, the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, on Hamisha Asabakislev. And Moshe says, wait, wait until listen. So the day says, what about me? And the Abishah says, we'll get to you, take a while. A thousand years later, you have the story of Hanukkah, and Hanukkah becomes a Yom Tif. And there's a whole Hasidus, why Hanukkah was not celebrated when the Beis Amikdash was put up initially, but when Yidin corrected it through Tshuva. And the same is true of the fast days. The fast days that we commemorate, and we commemorate them constantly, in an, un, an uninterrupted, in a perpetual way, is because the day has a certain energy. The day has a certain energy. When you have an energy on a day, uh, it can manifest in different ways. For example, if you love somebody very, very, very much, and they do something wrong, it's conceivable that you, in your frustration, in your, in your pain, in your, in your wish for that person to be the best, 
And to do the best, that you'll hit them. If you didn't love that person so much, you wouldn't hit them. It's, it's a symptom of the very profound attachedness there is between person A and person B that sometimes can have what looks like a negative effect, but it's actually a sign of affection. Which is what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that when Titus Arasha went into the base of Mikdash, he found the Kruvim, the cherubs, hugging each other in an embrace. The Chazal say that the cherubs faced each other, that was a sign that Hashem liked the Jewish people. When the Kruvim turned their backs to one another, that was a sign Hashem was in a state of displeasure, vis-a-vis Yid. At the moment of the Chorban, not only are Kruvim facing each other, they're hugging each other, he says, look, God is mocking you. This is what he said to the Jewish people. And the Sfarim explained, that Rebbe says, that the ultimate act of love was Chorban Abayis, because Hashem was giving the Yid judgment, giving them judgment, quote, because He cared about them, which ultimately brings out the greater possibility, the greater goodness that the Jewish people have. This is why fast days don't just become neutralized, fast days become yomtivs. Because the Abishit does not punish. Even though he's called, and it's mentioned in today's chitas, venake, he's called a vengeful God. That's what it says in, in, if you read the Kiyosatera today, venake. Well, there's a number of translations to that word, venake. But one of them is that he takes revenge. It sounds so not v'yadavtazite, so it's not a Yiddish. The Abish there is naikivanaita. He takes revenge. You can't hit when you when your back faces someone. Uh, you can't hit when you have your fa- back face. You have to turn around. around. Yeah, yeah. So, nevertheless, Abish is not vengeful. It appears to us to be vengeful. It's always correction. The Abish is always fixing his world, and therefore these days, at currently or at the moment, we experience, we commemorate, we fast as an act of tshuva to repair these wrongs. When Mashiach comes, take up Miyad Mamish, they're transformed into favorable days, into positive days. This is, this is the Rebbe's commentary on Shavasa Batamu. So we're bound by the halachas. And this is, it's Bein Amitzadim, it's three weeks, it's a time of mourning and a time of sadness and so on and so forth. But the spirit of Ayyid, this is a time which is especially auspicious for the coming of Mashiach Sukeinu. So Maruyak and Zumesh, we have a peaceful summer, especially in Etzisro. Okay, be well. <laughs>